You're listening to the Esoteric News Briefs, your source for the paranormal, the mysterious, and the strange. Welcome back, goblins. I have two special guests with me today. I have Jordan from Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling, and fan favorite, Carly, the Village Terror Witch. Hi. Hi. Hello. <laughs> there we go. Hi. Hello. <laughs> I'm, I'm really stoked to talk about this. It's like one of my favorite subjects, so I'm I'm really happy to be here. I am too, because, yeah. Before jumping into what we're actually talking about, you say this is one of your favorite subjects. Are we talking about uh, esoterica and paranormal or role-playing games? Both, actually. That's why I love this so much, because it, it's sort of a cross-section between the two, right? All right. Okay, so to give a brief rundown of what inspired this episode, I am currently reading a book entitled, let me pull it up here, I have a physical book for once, Therapeutically Applied Role-Playing Games, The Game to Grow Method. Now this is a book about using games such as Dungeons and Dragons as a means of group therapy. And then while reading this book, one passage jumped out to me specifically, and I'm going to read that for everybody right now. The magic circle of TTRPGs is not entirely sealed off from real life. TTRPGs invite participants to simultaneously be their character and not their character. They are both the player at the table and the fictional character they portray, and, while they are both, they are also neither. This aspect of the TTRPG play space has been described as a liminal space. In the liminal play space, they can reflect on the aspects of their character and their own identity and reintegrate aspects into a new self-concept. So the moment I read that and I saw them referring to this as a liminal space, it triggered something in my mind. Well, the magic circle part had it started out there, but like the liminal space... Immediately, I was like, man, that is some of the, the weirdo topics that we go into in our group chats. So I really need to talk about this with other people. And it just turned into an episode. So here we are. Here we are. Yeah, you actually, you you commented that in a group chat that I'm in with you. And I my toxic trait is I kind of tend to ignore most group chats, if I'm being honest. Like I pop in now and then and I catch up, but I rarely comment. But this time, it caught my attention, and I had no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> someone explain, please. Like, what, what is this concept? And once you and a couple other people gave a brief explanation, I was like, holy fucking shit. Is this what I've been doing with my writing this entire time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I have done exactly zero reading on it on my own. I wanted to come into this conversation blind, <laughs> and that's what I've done. But this concept is what I did with my novel, A Collection of Eyes. I wanted to talk about what having PTSD feels like to me, my symptoms, but I didn't want to talk about my story. I didn't want it to happen to me, so I gave all of my symptoms to someone else, and I let her kill her monster. <laughs> And that, in essence, is exactly what this this therapy uh, style, this method, is. Except you get a big sword and you fight dragons. Yeah. I mean, I'm here for it. <laughs> so, Jordan, what is your background with this? 
honestly, when I when I hear that, I instantly think about I instantly think about the meditative practice of the observer. Right. So Mm -hmm. when you're playing a tabletop RPG, you you get to simultaneously be the observer and the character. Right. You're Mm -hmm. you're you and the character when you meditating you're observing your own consciousness, right? So it's the same sort of relationship between the observer and your consciousness. So that's immediately what came to mind when you when you read that. But I've been, I, I mean, I've been playing tabletop RPGs since I was like 13 years old. And there is definitely, without a doubt, therapeutic aspects to that. Yeah, I, I can confirm that completely from personal experience. Yeah. And I've been playing for about the same amount of time. And even if you're not addressing the specific situation in the game, just going to and playing the game with other people, sometimes that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's if you're especially if you play with the same group for a long period of time, it's only a matter of time before that turns into a more traditional group therapy. You know, because you're you're literally just sitting around a table talking with your friends. <laughs> what is that we're hearing in the background? <laughs> Puppies. Okay. <laughs> that was the sound of Carly dying to the puppy on the screen. Yeah, sorry about that. This I usually don't record this time this time of day because they're much more active. Now Carly, you have not played any role playing games yourself, have you? I have not. I've played like collaborative games. Um, I tried to learn how to play Dungeons Dungeons and Dragons. Excuse me, during COVID, and then I realized how much math is involved. And I know that I've said this plenty of times before, but I am not a math person. Math is meaningless to me. Numbers don't make sense. And I was like, "Well, I'm out." <laughs> so I would play. <laughs> Um, if somebody else did the math for me, but I can get on board this concept in terms of characters and role play, and I can understand it completely from the concept of using character as an avatar to emulate or to use as a kind of like I used the character in my book, Penny, to be stronger than I felt in my life. I think that's a good part to describe in more detail to the listeners is what we mean by avatar. So the avatar is essentially a character or a third person or third party that we as individuals are controlling for the narrative, for the game, for whatever it is we're doing. It's very similar to creating an avatar of yourself in observation theory therapy. Let's try this again. It's very similar to creating an avatar of yourself for observation therapy. There we go. Finally got it. Yeah, I mean, it basically just acts as as a vessel for you to act through. Exactly. It's no different from a video game character. It's us controlling the actions of another individual remotely. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's on a screen. Sometimes it's in your mind. Sometimes it's on the written page. On the written page. Yeah, no, it just, it completely blew my mind. I'm still not over it. Every time I think about it, I'm like, what? What? This is a thing (laughs) that I've been actively doing for months. 
for months, not just in this one book, but I've I've done this over and over again where I'm like, huh, you know what? This thing is really bothering me. I'd like to express it, but I can't express this. You know, I can't tell this story for reasons. So I'm going to write about it in a fictional way. And here it goes. And now I feel much better. <laughs> most most of my writing has Easter eggs of things that I want to express but can't. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it was mind mind boggling when when that information was dropped. <laughs> yeah. And the avatar basically creates a. Uh... A sort of shield between you and any actual repercussions, right? So it allows you to explore these topics that would normally leave you vulnerable and 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 unprotected. But the avatar, you know, it, it gives you the the ability to do that. Yeah, and for me, I haven't played role playing games, but I have been able to like much like in role playing games the things that happen aren't the same things that happen to you right like i nobody actually goes out and slays a dragon but sometimes there's enough similarities in there that when you defeat the dragon you walk away with some level of peace at the end right so it's like but for me writing my character allowed me to step away and be like huh you know what i actually did survive quite a lot like it let me like observe my symptoms in a different way instead of like being constantly annoyed and be like jesus fucking christ why can't i get it together i was like huh you know that's a fucking bummer <laughs> that's a, that's a bummer for me because it was happening to someone else and not to me so yeah it's um I didn't know that this. I didn't know that this is a thing that people did until <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> so, so you weren't consciously doing this. I was not consciously doing this. No, uh, it's like I was aware that writing like this made me feel better, but I didn't know that I was consciously doing this, and I didn't know that this is like an actual theory that people practiced <laughs> until <Yeah>. yesterday. <laughs> and Carly, you and I have talked about how we're both good at giving other people advice, but bad at following our own advice, right? Oh, yeah. And yeah. Mm -hmm. that this is one of those situations, because if you create someone who's going through the things you've gone through, it allows you to essentially give them advice. Right. Yep. Even though they're an avatar for yourself. Yeah. 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 And then you can see how that plays out for them and yeah. apply it to yourself. You can see how it plays out for them. And they when they get the victory, so do you in a in a roundabout way, which is fascinating, fascinating. But it also led me down the rabbit hole of thinking about just stories in general and the magic that they hold because one of the common threads that I've been talking about for a while is that you can change your story and not in the toxic positivity way where it's like <laughs> you can decide what your life is, you know? Yeah. Not in a toxic positivity kind of way, but more like if you haven't liked the way that your story has gone in the past, you can take the steps to change how things are going to go in the future. And does that mean that it's going to be easy or that you're going to be able to immediately change your reality? No, it doesn't work like that. I'm sure that there's going to be hard work. It is like the hero's journey where you get bumps and bruises along the way, but you are able to go through the challenges and 
see it through to the end and get to the end, the final boss battle, the end journey. And it it's a theme that I've been talking about over and over on my page without realizing that there was some truth to it. And now that I know that this is a common thing, it makes me think of like the the oral tradition of storytelling and the way that for generations we told stories around fires and how magical it must have been to people to sit around a fire and listen to those stories take shape and the power of imagination and words and bringing those things to life and making them more real for those people. So um, I mentioned in that group chat, but one of my favorite decks that I use is called the Memento Mori. And in that deck, there is a card and the meaning of the, it's a, on the picture, it's a ink bottle. And one of the meanings for that card is words have power. (laughs) And it just, it came together for me yesterday in this beautiful way where I was like, huh, words really do have power. Because for me, that card will come up over and over and over if I am stuck in a negative thought pattern or specifically when they're when my cards want me to pay attention to the stories that I am telling myself. So to mm. when I need to reframe my thoughts, when I am stuck in an anxious thought cycle or in a negative thought cycle, they'll hit me with that card and be like, hey, hey, you, <laughs> words have power. <laughs> Pay attention to the stories you're telling yourself. Those are anxiety stories you're spinning. Change the narrative. And it it works for me. It's not always easy, but it works for me. Well, that's something you see come up in therapist office all the time is be careful what you say about yourself because it has meaning whether you accept it in the moment or not. It has long-term repercussions. So be very careful about how you speak to yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, people talk all the time about like negative, negative self-speak, right? About how the way you see yourself in your environment tends to slowly become the way you are in your environment. So, yeah, the same as you write a character, you're essentially writing yourself. It just occurred to me there was a book series by a Russian author who actually was a psychologist leading up to this. And it was a it's a modern sci-fi where there's magic and things like that. I believe it was called the the Night Watch. Well, one of the characters oh, Terry Pratchett? No, 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 different Night Watch. Okay. So one of the characters was cursed. And the Night Watch are the people responsible for maintaining balance and order when there's like a curse going on, things like that. And they couldn't figure out who had cursed her in the first place. Well, it turns out she was a powerful magician in her own right, didn't realize it. And it was just this negative self-talk that she was doing that was building upon itself. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's funny. That's, I love that book. It's on my shelf right over there. Oh, nice. uh, yeah, Sergey Lukyanenko. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's and that you're right, that's a perfect example because they're searching and searching and search like what is wrong? Where's what is the source of this that's going on and and she finds out that it's herself that she's essentially cursed herself. I need to read this. As the series goes on, she becomes one of the main characters and I believe it it follows her 
her husband and her child yeah. throughout four books. I believe it's four books. Mm-hmm. And in the final one, it really blows my mind because they have this weird reality shifting thing that they can do where things just like the first level, it gets a little duller. Like the saturation of color goes down. It's everything just looks like it's in shadow. And then you can go another level and another level and another level deeper. But what they find out is as you keep going through the levels, you eventually just make your way all the way right back to the real world. Yeah. Yeah. Which ends up being this like grand metaphor for the entire series. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a brilliant psychological book as a sci-fi. And that's exactly what we're talking about here using metaphors and avatars and other characters and symbols to represent mental health issues. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Another thing, I don't know if this like relates. And since I haven't done any other research on this, you both can tell me and this will be exciting. (laughs) I did this back when I was back when I was living in Florida. And this is something that joy did a card reading for me a few different times and very specifically told me to find a fictional character to emulate. I think she told me to pick a role model and that if I couldn't find somebody in my real life to emulate to pick a, a character and pick attributes and qualities that I liked about that character and emulate them. <laughs> or like to use them as my source of inspiration and at the time I mean that was during my shit show of a year and I picked what's his face from the greatest showman the movie not the real guy because fuck the real guy you know (laughs) um P.T. Barnum there we go Hugh, Hugh Jackman in it because he he dreams up the impossible and somehow it works out. It doesn't work out smoothly or easily. No, but it does in the end, right? And so the ability to dream up the impossible and see it through and um, and Sherlock Holmes. I can't remember why Sherlock now. I think just because of the insane way that he puts things together. And if anybody has watched me, Jordan has watched me brainstorm several times and it is a bit <laughs> insane. <laughs> It's like talking to a crazy person when I, <laughs> when, yeah. when I, we, uh, I think we assumed you didn't choose Sherlock Holmes for his social skills. Yeah, no, no, not no. the social skills. No, it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I relate to Sherlock for a lot of different reasons, but it was like, and I, I noticed that I tend to pick male characters instead of female characters because I have plenty of female energy on my own. And what I lack is the confidence that a typical male character would have. And in my writing, I write strong female characters. I don't tend to write females who are like me with the exception of the follow-up book to A Collection of Eyes has a female character that is much more like me and I didn't like writing her. So she's currently in a timeout. <laughs> I'm going to get to her eventually, <laughs> but I was like, Ugh, why don't I like her? And I hit a point where I was like, I know why it's because she's like me. And I was like, that's a moment that I should sit with <laughs> and, <laughs> and work on a little bit. <laughs> in in my opinion, you, I think the female characters you write are very, they're very, they're beyond the like, cause of course it's, it's become a thing to have like strong female lead, right? That's mm-hmm. it's a, almost a subgenre of literature now. Like you see lists all over the internet 
but the characters you write, I would say you write male female characters. Like mm-hmm. it's beyond strong female characters. It's like the classic male lead from a book. They just happen to be a woman, you yeah. know? Yeah. 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 They have their own, they have their own challenges and pretty much everyone that I write is emotionally damaged. I don't think I've written a single person who doesn't have issues. I mean, except for who me. wants to read a book about a normie? Exactly. Boring. <laughs> That's yeah. the way I am with comic books. For the longest time, I never empathized with the superheroes because they were boring. They were predictable. They were going to do the right thing, and you knew exactly what that was going to be. Yep. But the villains, man, you never knew what was going to happen. You never knew which direction they were going to come from. They always had the weirdest looks compared to everybody else, and that's what yep. made it entertaining. Yep. We don't yep. want yeah. predictability. I mean, if you look at if you look at the most the most successful franchises in comic books for the big two, right? You have Batman and Spider-Man, basically. Those are mm-hmm. probably, yep. arguably, the most successful two, two properties. And both of them, the, the books rely on this rogues gallery of villains, right? Like, that's what they're known for. So I think that makes sense. I think a lot, a lot of people feel that way about comic mm-hmm. books. But as characters, also, those two individuals are incredibly broken people. Yeah, yeah. Everything they do stems from trauma compared to everybody else. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That is what makes Batman interesting. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Why do you think they've retold that origin story 80 times, right? Because that's like, that's the only, if you leave that out, then he's just another superhero. He's mm-hmm. just another rich white guy, not even a super. I yeah. mean, he is a superhero, but basically, if he doesn't have money, well, I mean, he does have money. But if you take away his money, then he's just another white guy. <laughs> <laughs> with trauma. <laughs> he doesn't with trauma. He doesn't even have superpowers. I mean, yeah. I'm a fan of Batman. But yeah, it's like it I I always preferred X-Men because I like I like that they're a group of misfit weirdos <laughs> that, yep. mm-hmm. but each one of them too, they each have a complicated backstory. And I, I like heroes with, with complications, I think. So I think that I like this theory and I like that people are using role play for therapy because I think there is something helpful about removing yourself from it because while I do think that it's incredibly important to walk yourself through the event that happened because you do have to feel your fucking feelings. You need to process those feelings. You need to understand what happened to you. You need to feel the feelings, but you also at some point have to let them go and move on. But there is a subconscious level, especially if there's any moment of trauma in those events and the subconscious thing isn't as easy to shut off, right? Like I can I can tell you textbook what happened to me, how I feel, felt about it, how I currently feel about it, but it doesn't stop the subconscious reactions that my body and my mind have when I'm reminded of the events that happened in my life. So therapy of this nature is incredibly helpful to me. I just didn't realize that I was doing it. <laughs> So it's it's amazing if the, like if you're doing all of that in combination, oh, 
you'd be unstoppable. This is my supervillain <laughs> origin story. <laughs> I, th- I think you touched on something really interesting there that I had not thought about, and that's X-Men specifically. Yes. Each of them, they are they're an allegory for something else. And that's what makes them so dynamic. Yeah. Uh, think of like Rogue as a character. She can't touch anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a trauma response manifested as a mutant ability. Yeah. Yep. The way the way that her ability, when she runs into that complication, it compounds her trauma. Also, mm-hmm. every time you mm-hmm. see it in in her stories over and over and over again, she's you know reminded of this flaw as she sees it. Right. This mm-hmm. trauma response that just re-traumatizes her. Yeah. No matter how much she wants to be close to someone, she can't touch him. She just yeah. can't do touch it. Him. Yeah. That's a bummer for her. That's a bummer for her. Plus, you have Logan Wolverine. For the record, I will never read or watch the Logan comic book or movie because I refuse to live in a world where Wolverine does not exist and I will die on this. <laughs> That's it's a bummer for you, actually, because it's his be- it's- the best story they ever wrote for him. I know. It is. You know what happens in it? Because every time I say that, people insist on telling me what happens and that he dies a hero. And I say, I don't care. I love him. <laughs> I love him. No, but even if you look at like Jean, Jean Grey and the Dark Phoenix, right? It's two yeah. sides of her. And she is unable to accept both sides of herself. She can't hold both sides of herself at once. So she is severely fragmented. So you only get one or the other at the helm. And it's this constant battle to hold the two sides of herself together. And I've used that as an explanation for me a few times in the past year because it's like when I'm me in my right mind, it's like being Jean Grey where I'm very logical. I can explain exactly what's happening. But the second trauma brain kicks in, I can feel it. I know that it's happening, but I can't stop it. And it's, you know. It's different, but it's it's the same sort of thing where it is a distinct fracture of yeah. of being. So I do find a lot of comfort in relating to fictional characters that I can look at and relate to and say that character, I, I relate to this aspect of my life in that character because things like that are hard to explain and they're hard to talk to unless you happen to meet someone who is as fucked up as you are, <laughs> you know? But like, if you're just watching a movie and you see a reflection of yourself, it's it's comforting in a way. Or if you're playing a game and you're like, huh, you know, I wasn't expecting that, but I feel a little bit better about myself now, <laughs> you know? It's, it's nice. You can get similar effects too, from characters that you want to be more like goes back Mm -hmm. to the avatar idea for me it's gambit you know he has this mutant ability that he touches stuff and it explodes everything he touches is just goes to shit but man he is smooth (laughs) he can charm the pants off of anybody so you know there's everyone's got aspects that they're trying to integrate into their own character and you know, even these fictional characters that you read about in comics, there's something that you can take away from it. Yeah, I'm, I always related to Gambit, too, when I was especially when I was younger, because, you know, I always I always used to joke that lots of 
lots of women like me until they get to know me. You know, like <laughs> I I can be very charismatic and charming and on the surface, but most of the things I tried to do in my uh, young adult life pretty much turned to shit. So it, um, yeah, I always related with Gambit as well. So let's go ahead and talk about the, uh, the gaming aspect a bit. Yeah. What have you run into in your games, Jordan? Oh boy. So much. Well, let's back up first. Do you typically play or are you the DM? Okay. So up until I was about 25, I was a player. So I played for about 10 years and then I I took some time off. I didn't play. I think a lot of people have touch and go relationships with with this, right? But took a couple of years off and then when I came back since since about 25, so about the last decade, decade and a half, I've been a forever DM. I'm <laughs> my yeah, my uh my friend group has decided that that it's me that it has to be me so you are a brilliant storyteller so i appreciate that i would nominate you too just so that i didn't have to and i say that as (laughs) a fellow brilliant storyteller i'd be like no no that seems like a lot of work i'm here for the ride (laughs) yeah tell me which dragons to face (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i've been both I've about equal time spent doing both player and DM. Okay. So which do you prefer of the two? Player. Player? Definitely player. I I mean, there are things about DMing that I like, but like Carly said, it is nice to just show up and be along for the ride. It gets a little frustrating sometimes with when you're always the DM because you are putting so much more work into the into the experience than everyone else is. And you're the first person that they complain to. Right. So basically yeah. you're being a parent again. Yeah. Which is the, why I would be the first one to be like, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I do that all day, every day. Anyways, that doesn't sound fun to me. <laughs> yeah. It's sometimes it feels like you're, you know, the manager of a shop that only employs 15 year olds. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's how it feels. But I mean, there are good sides to it too. I like, obviously, I'm a writer, so I like writing stories, and DMing is just another, another outlet for for that writing. So I appreciate that aspect of it. I think I was the opposite. I was the oldest one in my friend group, so when we started playing, they made me the DM because I was the one who had the patience to read all the books. Sure. And then I did that for, oh man, all the way through high school. And then in college, I was able to start being a a player. And as much fun as that was, after being a DM, I was very, I felt very restricted to a single character. Yeah. So I ended up telling my own stories again because I got to play with all of these individuals instead of just building upon one person. Yeah, that makes sense too. I I, I like that aspect too. I like being able to role play a dozen different characters in a session. And that's always fun. And you can create these, you basically just have more avatars, right? You can right. create these, 
these characters that express whatever you want to express and you're not restrained by the confines of your of your character sheet so do you do any not necessarily world building but like game building on your own sort of like expanding on house rules creating your own systems anything like that oh yeah we've done several homebrew campaigns that lasted multiple years quite a bit of world building there drawing up my own maps and creating lore behind cities and all that. <laughs> the puppers are having fun in the background there. Yeah. So yeah, I've done a lot of world building. Now, Carly, we know from the last episode that you also have done some world building. I sure have. In yeah. interesting, special ways, but you know, the process <laughs> is still there. Yeah. The process is still there. It's different. Well, actually, I don't know how different it is. It's just not in game format, but to play Dungeons and Dragons, I mean, I feel like anybody who has played a role play game like that, the amount of thought that people put into their characters, like they are detailed as shit. I haven't played, but I am friends with a lot of people who play. So I know that y'all know your characters. Like I'm pretty sure that you could tell me your character's favorite meal and day of the week. Like, oh, yeah. you know. <laughs> You you know their personalities. You know their their strengths and their weaknesses, and not just in terms of battles, but like personality flaws, character traits, things like that. And those are all the same things that go into creating characters for a book. Like, obviously, we have my main character, Penny, but I have several side characters, and I know all of their stories just as well as I know hers. Maybe there's a couple of side characters that I didn't really go into and they just kind of existed to kind of be shitty side characters, you know, so they didn't get as much thought. But it's that same level of world building and storytelling that goes into it. So I'm pretty convinced that anybody who plays Dungeons and Dragons would be a fantastic writer <laughs> just because of that because it's it's imagination. And being able to visualize your characters as real people. And how do I explain? So I'm going to bring egregores into the mix. Yes. <laughs> I talked to Jordan a little bit about this before, but some of my characters feel real to me sometimes. Like the, the main character in my book is a man named Joseph Caperton. Jordan came up with that name for me. <laughs> I just called him <laughs> Caperton. I don't really, I don't like naming my characters. I don't know why. It takes me forever. I'm better at it now, but um, I, for a long time, I only wrote books and I just, or I wrote stories I didn't have to name people. And now I'm naming them and I'm better at it. But um, Caperton was never one of these characters for me, but like I can feel what they feel and it's almost like I'm having a conversation with them in my head while I'm writing. So it's almost sometimes when I'm writing, it's like I can see what they're about to do as they're doing it. And so there's times when I'm like, what the fuck? You're ruining my plot. What are you doing? Like, why are you making this move? Right. But at the same time, like, a couple of my characters have been so important to Joy, who is my writing partner. So Joy loves the character in my novel, A Collection of Eyes. His name is Detective Harris. She loves him so much, okay? every Like, anytime I write a scene with Harris, her response is always more Harris. Like, she loves him. 
and Joy is writing a screenplay. And I'm not going to go into details because that's that's her baby and that's not mine to tell. But she has a character that I similarly love. And he was supposed to have a completely different plot until I was like, but I love him. I love him <laughs> so much that I think that we accidentally turned him into an egregore because he just took on a life of his own and he started changing. He was supposed to be a side character and now he like pushed her main character out of the way and has really taken on a life of his own in a way that like, I don't know. There's something it, I just feel like there is something magical about writing and storytelling because when you give that much energy and force into a character, like, can they come to life? Like, I know that we're having a completely different discussion, but in the case, his name is Godfrey. In the case of Godfrey, like, there have been definite times when he has popped into my imagination so strongly that I've been like, you're you don't even belong to me what are you doing here (laughs) and and vice versa with joy like there have been plot twists with with godfrey and and with my character and i know that other writers experience this but it i had a i had an absolute point that i was going to make with that and i've lost it now and i apologize for that (laughs) egregores egregores yeah godfrey is an egregore but I lost the initial point. Sorry. My brain's a little on the fritz today. <laughs> it's okay. I understand. Now, Jordan, as the DM, I know you can uh, relate to this. You could come up with this NPC who has absolutely no point to the plot of the story. And for some reason, your players just latch on to them. Oh, yeah. It, it happens every time. It's, um, it's another thing I love about DMing is it's not just an exercise in storytelling. It's an exercise in improv right because Mm -hmm. you have to be able to change things on the fly based on what your group is doing and without fail every game there's some random shopkeeper or a (laughs) person they encounter in the woods and they just they want more they want more of that character and you you have to give it to them right yeah yeah every time it's but I I love what you were saying about about tulpas, right? This this idea that and it, writers the the connection between writers and tulpas is it's classic at this point. But it's funny because there's two different ways to see it, right? You can see it like you're creating an entity that eventually gains a consciousness of their own, a mind of their own that then influences your writing or some people look at it more like channeling right mm. which i've definitely felt while writing the uh, the idea the those moments where you just sit down and it's almost like lost time it's almost like missing time right like you sit down you start typing and all of a sudden it's 3 hours later and there're 25 new pages and you're like, I don't, I don't know where this came from, you know, yeah. like you it, look out the just, window and say, wait, it's dark. What's going on? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And those are, those are fantastic. I've been working on a, a horror anthology of short stories and boy, did that fly by. I mean, it was, it was wild. It was like a bout of some 
some sort of bout of inspiration that I've never experienced in my life. I think it was, what was it, Carly? It was like, like a month, 40 stories and 40 stories in a month. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. An insane pacing. And that's like, I wrote my book also at an insane rate. So like coming for me, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> that was, that was insanely fast. I mean, it was, it's a 400 page book that I mm-hmm. finished Whoa. in a month. I mean, there's still editing to happen, but the the first draft of the book, it's like 407 pages and I finished it in a month. And I'll be completely honest, I don't remember that month very much. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I I mean, it was like eight to 10 hours a day at the computer for a month straight. Man. And, In that yeah. solid writing flow. Yeah. 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 I have days as a writer where I can't like, I'll write maybe two or three sentences and then I just sit and stare yep. at the screen and it's like, I know there's words in me and just nothing happens. And then the next day I sit down and I write like 6,000 words and there's like, yeah. my, my minimum word goal is 500 words a day. And that's like, that's a baby goal for me. But like 2,000 words is a good day. Um, yeah. like a normal day for me is 2000 words, but there are definitely days that you sit down and it's like, it, it is like channeling. It's like something else takes over and the words just flow onto the page. And it, it is like magic. What needs to be said is said in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, magic is the best way to describe it. That's, that's what it feels like. Right. I mean, people, People work to describe this, these experiences in ways that, I don't know, sort of, you don't need a thousand words to describe that it's magic. You know what I mean? It's the Mm -hmm. same as like, you see all these like new agey people tripping over all this language to try to just say God. Yeah. 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 Just say what you mean. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's magic. Well, there's a ritual aspect to the whole thing, too. Yes. I'm sure there's specific things that you do every time before you start writing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, there's writers who will, like, walk you through their writing routines, and there's some who are very specific, and they cannot write without completing their steps because that is how they've trained themselves to sit down and write. And I I had that for a little while. I had a very specific routine that I was doing. I ha- don't have that right now, but, and it, it does help when you turn it into like a ritual practice of this is my writing time. You, this is, this is my secret time. No, I would even like, I would take it so far as to like, I would tell my kids, this is my writing time. You are not allowed in here. I would close the door and crank up my headphones so that they couldn't interrupt me. I need to get back to that because that's when I do my best writing. No offense to my spawns who I love very much, but they're very needy creatures. <laughs> no, it's it's important to give it the reverence you would give a job, right? Yep. Like you yeah. you have you really have to give your time to it. Mm-hmm. It can't be it you're never going to get you're never going to finish a project if you just try to squeeze it into all the little gaps of your day. You have to really sit down and give <laughs> a block of your time. Yeah, exactly. This last year I said that writing, I was treating writing like it was my full-time job and I was a part of and released four books last year. 
So like wow. one full blown novel and then three, well, one short story and three novellas. Is that right? No, two novellas, one full blown novel, one short story in Dark Village and two novellas. So yeah. It was a lot of writing, <laughs> plus all the other things that I did and didn't release because um, there's other things written in there. We talked about this recently, but that for the, your novel took six months, right? And then there were mm-hmm. a couple months break and then two novellas mm-hmm. and a short story in what, three months? Yeah. 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 So like really short time span for all of the other things. Um, so... I wrote Seduced by the Swamp Creature and The Beasts of Greyhaven basically in and around November and October and yeah. November. Like six weeks? Yeah, like that six-week time span because I feel like they all three came out around the same time. Beasts of Greyhaven for sure came out after Dark Village because that was supposed to be like the palate cleanser. But I remember a frenzy of being like, what the fuck have I done? This is way too many things all at once. <laughs> I feel like I feel like you came up with the idea. I feel like you came up with the idea for the swamp creature and like 2 weeks later it was for sale. Yeah, basically. I wrote it really fast cuz I I was just like yeah, I was looking for some fun. It was a lot of fun, but now I am I'm I'm going to return to her at some point. However, she's in she's she's resting in the swamp for now. <laughs> she's <laughs> resting. <laughs> Right? She's resting. Yeah, in the not a lot of rest right going on. Yeah, she's <laughs> resting in the. Swamp. Well, that reminds me. How did uh, how did the swamp creature Christmas go? The swamp creature Christmas. Yeah. So I actually I had an insane December. Um, I got very busy recording Death Becomes Us. So there's no actually there's not actually any smut parts. But the first two parts of Christmas with the Swamp Creature are available on the Dark Village Publications Substack. And the last part will be available in the anthology that's coming out in January. So the the whole story will be in there, but that'll be the conclusion in there because I did not realize um, what my recording schedule would be like. <laughs> so <laughs> I had I had poor time management in December. It was my my own my own mistake. <laughs> I, I bit off more than I could chew in the month of December, and now. Now I am paying the price. Just kidding. No. <laughs> well, on top of that, it's also December, so there's a lot going yeah. on. There's a lot yeah. going on. Yeah. So, um, but it was it was really fun. And actually, I made I made gumbo. I Gil and Darla Jean had Christmas Eve gumbo, and I had Christmas Eve gumbo. And you nice. know what? I make excellent gumbo. I was thrilled. <laughs> Darla Jean is my favorite character name you've ever come up with. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, really is Gil and Darla Jean <laughs> I'm, I'm partial to Gil just because of how yeah. on the nose the name is yeah yeah it couldn't I mean you could the only way it could be better is if you just named him fish boy or, or something boy <laughs> yep Gil and Darla Jean and eventually Bobby the bartender will get a girlfriend and I've said that before but next time Ivana gets to gets her time to shine Bobby will get a girlfriend <laughs> this is this is my sacred <laughs> vow I may change my mind when I actually do it because if yeah, we we'll know see. me I'm a mood creator 
<laughs> I have way too many good ideas. <laughs> I've got to ask, is he going to get a fish girl girlfriend? Uh, Bobby's girlfriend is going to have tentacles. She's going to be an octopus woman. Yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I have the whole thing plotted out in my head. I just need some... I need some free time <laughs> to, to be able to write it. No, you just but need two I, weeks to write it out. I just need two. I need two weeks to write. I need a writer's retreat. Somebody fund a trip to Louisiana for me without my spawns. <laughs> so actually, without my spawns and probably without internet, if I'm being honest, so that I mm-hmm. don't have the ability to like distract myself, <laughs> and then I'll be golden. <laughs> that's, Do you that's have you experimented with those writing apps? Basically, mm-hmm. where like there are programs for writing where it like cuts everything else off. You get just like a black mm. screen with white text, or you know <gasps> what I mean. Oh, I've seen those free write machines, but you're saying mm-hmm. that there's an app for that. Yeah, yeah. It's, I have not. A lot. Of, a lot of people use them. I'm, I'm terrible. Like I, I use the internet a lot when I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Like a lot. I. I'm constantly cross-referencing things and going back and forth, making sure everything makes sense. Um, I'm also, I'm also a religious user of thesaurus. Yes. Constantly. <laughs> I, yep. I use it a lot. So yeah, it, they don't work for me, but some people swear by them. Yeah. So my trick normally is I use brown noise cause it kind of, it soothes my ADHD mind chatter. So these headphones are noise canceling. Um, so I put them on and I listen to brown noise. I do have playlists that are kind of curated for whatever I'm writing. So a collection of, a collection of eyes, I have a playlist for that. And I'll kind of listen to that to get me in the mood. But when I'm actually writing, that helps a lot. Because if I'm having a bad ADHD day, I'm constantly tempted to be like, oh, I wonder if so-and-so messaged me back. So I'll have to like put my phone away from me. But I do <laughs> I do reference things on the internet a lot too. So it's a, you know, it's a balance. Yeah. It's a balance. You got me hooked on the brown noise too. Although at first when you brought it up the first time, I was thinking brown note, which is a completely different thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. It's amazing. I tell everybody about it because I didn't understand what it was because I was like, isn't that just like fucking TV static? And like, kind of. Yeah, but way less annoying. Yeah. (laughs) The way I describe it is it sounds very similar to when I am like swimming and I'm underwater. Mm -hmm. It's that, that muffled, dampened noise that you get in the background. Yeah. 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 I tried the I tried the brown noise thing after you talked about it but i actually found that i prefer green noise oh I it's like too. it's a different frequency yeah and it, it's a little higher and i think mm-hmm. it like i get like i almost get like a body buzz from it yeah hmm. and yeah, yeah i'm have you heard the binaural beats too that oh they yeah like they go back and forth in your ears and it makes my brain dance. It's fabulous. I love it. Oh. <laughs> See, they don't do anything for me at all. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. I'll send you one next time I hear a good one and I'll just I'll just constantly experiment and say, Does this one work? <laughs> that works for me. One? What about this one? Yeah. No, but now I'm circling back around to the original reason that we were here. Now I'm really curious 
about this. What is the actual term of this theory? I'm here talking. We've been talking about it this whole time, and I don't even know the. So right now, because it's still such a new thing, there isn't really a term for it. There's two main organizations that I found who actually train people for this. The one that I'm reading right now is from something called the Game to Grow Method. And then the other one, I believe, is Geek Therapeutics. And um, yeah, it's just therapeutic dungeon mastering is is the common term for it. Therapeutic dungeon mastering. Okay, because hear me out. I'm trademarking this right now. Nobody steal my idea. Will I do anything with it? I don't know. Okay, what if you take this concept and you pair it with a tarot reading, okay? And somebody who can write, me, okay? Somebody has a problem. I'm also a shadow worker, so I'm the perfect person to do this. Somebody has a problem that they just can't get over, right? It's like a thing that has plagued them for years and years and years. They understand the whys and hows, maybe, or maybe they don't. And they just, like, for example, I had a ghost visit me last night, which was so much fun. I loved that one. I was awake when that (laughs) happened, okay? This ghost, her baby died, and that's very sad for her. I'm very sorry for her. And it's just these moments where they're just basically telling me what happened. But what if you were able to go to someone and you were able to say, this is the thing that is bothering me. And you were somehow able to incorporate, say, like a tarot reading or whatever. And you were able to get to the root issue of it. Like if maybe if they didn't know, that's what shadow work is for, right? Getting to the core Mm. issue of the wound. And then together, like a dungeon master, write a story to give to this person like they can have some input and say like what traits would you like to have what traits would you like your character to have that can empower you like I gave to Penny like Penny is all the things that I wish that I was and I actually am I just didn't realize that I am you know what I mean yeah it's like to give it to somebody else What's funny is that you originally wrote Penny for someone else. I did. I originally wrote Penny for, well, I, so yeah, this, this book was a short story that I wrote for Joy's birthday originally, and she loved it so much that I kept going with it. Isn't it odd though, that it was for someone else and it ended up being for you. (laughs) It was for someone else and then ended up helping me so much, but that's why Originally, that's why Penny was such a badass because Joy is such a badass. Right. (laughs) So I made Penny this like strong final girl. And then you see how fucked up she is, but she's still a strong badass. So, yeah. So you took your, you took your own, you gave the character your problems and you gave the character attributes that you admire in your best friend. Mm hmm. And then ran that person through the same scenario. Yeah. I sure did. I ran that character through, you know what? I just, I gave her the absolute worst time. I gleefully, (laughs) like I wrote scenes and I was like, this is too nice. This is too nice. My toxic trait (laughs) as a writer, other than tense issues and my commas like sprinkles uh, is to, (laughs) I always... I always go in and I'm like, I don't like this. This is this is way too happy. And I go make it worse. <laughs> and I continually go in and make lives terrible for my main characters, except for Darla Jean and Gil. They had a great time. That's nice for them. <laughs> but <laughs> if you'd spent two more weeks on that, they would have been miserable. 
I mean, that wasn't that wasn't <laughs> me. That was Ivana. That's true. <laughs> Which is ironically another avatar. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and ironically or hilariously, whichever way you want to look at it, when I was writing that, I had to actively step aside from being crushingly embarrassed or like being like, oh my God, what am I writing? There were times when I was like, I can't write this sentence. And I was like, nope, it's not Ivana me, can. it's Ivana. Yep. <laughs> and then I had a blast and I was like, this is a bit I am, I am Ivana mm-hmm. right now. So it really was. I stepped aside and I think my whole, st- I, every, when I was writing, I was like, Ivana, take the wheel. <laughs> like that, and was- that right there, that specific scenario is exactly what that passage I read at the beginning is talking about. You mm-hmm. created this situation where you're able to step aside yourself and you're still controlling Ivana, but you're yep. not Ivana. Ivana is the yep. one doing the writing. So it's okay. Mm-hmm. Ivana is the one that writes the weird swamp smut. It's not me. It's Ivana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. It's doing the exact same thing with other scenarios. See? Yeah. So you create this this um, avatar that is able to operate in situations that you would be uncomfortable in. Right? But she can navigate those situations. I think that yeah. you're both giving me the solution that I need right now. <laughs> solution for what? I can't elaborate on air. Sorry about that. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have an active thing that's stressing me out, and I think that might be the actual solution. <laughs> yeah. And and really, that's that's the premise of this book. It's setting up these scenarios, which the DM makes worse. Mm-hmm. But it gives people who are working through their their stressors and their traumas a character with the skills and tools necessary to navigate those and the distance to do so. So I feel like we've come full circle in this conversation. Yeah. We have. We have. And maybe solved a problem for Carly here. No, I mean, you really <laughs> did. You really did. <laughs> Once again, my mind is blown. I've spent, I literally have woken up worrying about this one scenario several times over the last week or so being like, God damn, I have to handle this pretty fucking soon. And now you can. (laughs) Now I can, because I'm not going to, somebody else is going to handle it for me. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be me, but it'll be character. I think that's the, that's the ultimate point though. And I think that has to be the, the, end goal of this kind of therapy is realizing that those tools you gave your avatar were within you all along, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That they are actually, so you have to sort of, I imagine at least that you have to eventually reincorporate that avatar into yourself. Yep. Right. Yeah. So yeah, you're basically the creation of the avatar gives you distance to go, well, that's not me. Don't it's, I can be, you know, fanciful and I can add all these things I wish I had. But through the act of being that avatar, you're demonstrating to yourself slowly along the way that you actually have those traits yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that's probably a that's a hugely eye-opening experience for people, I imagine. To oh, realize, yeah. Yeah. oh, I was I was capable all along. I just needed a little distance and 
a little lo- less um, self-criticism, right? Because you're much less yeah. likely to to push down the avatar, you know, put we don't mind pushing our own faces in the mud and going, you, you can't do this. This isn't, yep. you know, in your wheelhouse or you're not strong enough for this. But when you create this avatar, you want to lift them up, right? Which is what yeah. you should be doing for yourself all along. Yeah, I think it's easier. I don't know why we're like this as humans, but it there, it is easier to be compassionate for someone who isn't you. And sometimes it does take seeing your strengths. Sorry, Gunner is suddenly flopping about <laughs> dramatically. Are you kidding bed. me? Your dog makes... <laughs> My dog makes your dog look like an angel. I don't know. I've heard, I've been told that he's not as loud on my microphone as he is for me. So yeah. hopefully no. that's the case. Look, look at him smile. He's a baby. You guys he's totally fine. To this can't hear. But uh, so. Gunner's perfect. Don't criticize Gunner. He, he's a baby. Other than when he <laughs> eats couches and walls, you know, other than that. But um, there, there is something to be said about seeing traits that you possess, but you are unable to recognize. And I think it's because of how, like when you're in that moment of struggle and you are experiencing pain, it's hard to step outside of that and seeing how much strength it took to make it through that. I watched this terrible Lifetime. It was like a Lifetime movie, but it was on Netflix and it had Josh Dumel and this blonde lady that's in like all of them. I don't remember what it's called anymore. (laughs) It made me so sad. It made me so sad. But it was, I watched it and I went, I started it on my computer and I paused it to watch a Christmas movie with Joy and I went into the living room to finish watching it and my oldest daughter came out and we were watching it together and she was like, this is really sad because this is like you. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) I know, I know it was this, it was this woman and her husband had died. So that's not like me. But um, she's trying to start again, and she has her kids, and she's, like, overwhelmed and exhausted, and it's just it's, – it's pretty heartbreaking. But I was watching it, and it was the first time that I, like, gave myself sympathy for everything that mm. had happened. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I was like, well, I can't not be nice to myself now because I recognized it through a fictional character. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> fine. Fine, I have to be nice to myself now. <laughs> Avatars, whatever. <laughs> I think that might be the title of this episode. Yeah, Avatars, whatever. Be. Avatars, whatever. <laughs> no, I just think it's, I just think that this is brilliant because I think that as humans, we've been telling stories for as long as we've existed. Like storytelling, even primitive art, like it's something that speaks to us on a cellular level, like whether or not like you read, okay, maybe you're not a reader, but you're playing video games and guess what? Video games are stories. Maybe you don't play video games. Okay. You watch TV, you watch movies, podcasts, even music. Most, well, okay. I say that loosely, but a lot of songs. Good music. (laughs) Good music. Yeah. Good music. But at, at their core, these are all stories and the real power of storytelling is the ability to transform lives. Like it's, it's the ability to change the way that you perceive the world. 
And if we're able to harness that to change our own reality, either through the stories that we are telling other people or the stories that we're telling ourselves, like, how fucking cool is that? (laughs) This is the coolest theory that I've learned in a while. And I spend all of my free time talking about paranormal theories. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now we need to actually get you to play a game. Yeah. Somebody do the math for me and I'm in. (laughs) Or give me an app that does it for me. I'm not joking about how bad I am at math. (laughs) Carly's distaste for math is the only situation where we're not best friends. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's it. It's a... Yeah, my distaste... I have dyscalculia, so numbers just... They truly don't mean anything to me and situations where numbers are like it distracts from the game itself because i'm like i don't understand what you want me to do if there's too many steps involved i'm 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 lost what do you mean yeah you want me to calculate things i'd rather just focus on what the fuck my character is (laughs) doing yeah um and i'm one of those super math nerds that like when i (laughs) when my kids when my kids struggle with math i'm I have literally sat at the dining room table and said, math is beautiful <laughs> to them. <laughs> like, and I really mean that. Like, to me, it, it is. So, yeah, that's that's one of the few points where the two of us diverge. Yep. Well, math is a language of its own. So, like, yeah, I actually agree with you. Math, like, if you understand the language of numbers, I do think that it is beautiful. Is I've heard other people describe it too, that like, if you understand the language of math, there's no problem that you can't solve. And my son is incredibly good with numbers. Like I don't understand it at all. And the exact opposite, I homeschool my kids. So my kids do their math online because I'm not good at math. And if they need help, they go to my dad. (laughs) Because (laughs) I am just, I'm not that. My daughter is the same way. Uh, as I am my oldest daughter and I literally sat her down and I was like look I don't know how to help you with this I don't even care if you get bad (laughs) if you get bad grades I want you to try your best I want you to try to understand it but this doesn't make sense to me it's okay if it doesn't make sense to you we just like your brain works the same way as mine we just got to get by (laughs) yeah I think that's a beautiful sentiment it really Mm -hmm. is like a lot a lot of kids are made to feel less than because math doesn't make sense to them right yeah i I was a lot of kids yeah i was always told i was lazy or like not trying hard enough or like if i just applied myself a little bit better or like yada 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 and i was like i i'm actually i'm very smart i'm i'm really i'm smarter than i get credit for and i just I just don't understand the way that numbers work. <laughs> That's, it doesn't take yeah. away from my intelligence. It just means I don't speak that language. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was in mm-hmm. high school before we figured out that I was dis- had dyscalculia as well. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny because there's a store, a lumber store here called 84 Lumber. Mm-hmm. Growing up all the time as a kid, I would call it 48 Lumber. And everybody was like, oh, that's cute. He's just a kid. He's being goofy and he doesn't know what's going on. No, (laughs) I was actually reading it that way. And then finally it clicked after a while. It's like, well, the teachers, the the math teachers would look at my reports or my, my, uh, my test and say, you're doing everything right. You just wrote the numbers wrong. Yeah. 
Yeah, that'll happen to me too. Or with a calculator, like I can do the same problem twice and get different answers. And it's just, I read the, rub- oh. the numbers wrong. So I put yeah. them in, I, in different the numbers orders. are going in, yeah, in different orders. So it's just, yeah, I always test crazy high on English and history. I don't even have to study. I'm great at it. And I have always passed math by the skin of my teeth. And like yeah. most of my tests, I failed <laughs> and I make up for it on uh, homework, <laughs> homework assignments. So like, yeah. you know, that's, um, I have, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say like, I would jokingly say I have math trauma, but like, that's my, that's my hurdle in, in role playing games. I need somebody else to math for me. <laughs> well, and then I'm in. <laughs> you, you, luckily you exist in a time where there are plenty of role playing platforms online that literally do the math for you see that's what i need if you played D D using roll 20 for instance you don't do any of the math yourself it's all built I'm in that. no math so. and i'm in there's yeah. even games out there that don't use math that's well true. technically like the fate system i just saw a game i haven't bought it yet but i think i'm going to but i keep seeing ads for it on instagram that is a tarot role-playing game and i really want to get that because that sounds Super fun Ooh. and like a system that I would automatically understand because I don't do the numerology side of tarot, but I understand tarot. <laughs> yeah. So I, at a certain point, I abandoned Dungeons and Dragons completely to play a game called Burning Wheel. And basically you create the whole, you create every aspect of the game in like in the round with your group at the very beginning. Mm. So you you make all the decisions about how the gameplay is going to go, what exists in your world, what doesn't, what like even down to the technical, the meta side, you decide like what dice are we going to roll for this? What all of it? Hmm. You decide it all yourself, basically. Um, The books, basically the burning wheel books just give you like the very minimum skeletal structure of the mm. game and your your group builds it from the ground up. So there are role playing games you could uh, we've played I've played versions of Burning Wheel that cuz every game is different obviously, but I've played versions where the, you literally don't do anything outside of roll two six-sided dice. Like that's oh, that's all I there is. That too. That's all the numbers there are. Um I like that. So yeah. There's room for you in tabletop RPGs. You don't have to be good at math. There's room for me in my non-number brain. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I totally forget the name of the game that I heard about recently, but it's set in the era of the Majestic 12. And do you remember in, in Ghostbusters and the very first one where they're using those cards to test out psychic abilities? Oh, yeah. yeah. Those are called Zenner cards. Well, your mm-hmm. characters in this game have psychic abilities and you're not rolling dice to activate them. You're calling out one of those four symbols and flipping no cards. Way. Yeah, that's awesome. That one. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Next week, I'm I'm running a game that only has one dice. Yeah, and you you have a score that is on a spectrum from one to eight, and you either roll over your score or under your score to do whatever it is you're doing as a character. Oh, I love that too. I didn't yeah. realize that there was so a spectrum of role playing games either. I'm a big board game fan. I love board games, Settlers of Catan. I also love world building ones. 
there's a super fun cryptid one. I think I told you about it before, Jordan. It's a yeah. it's like a a group one. I can't remember what it's called. Something about monsters. But it's a it's a cryptid game and you have to like work together to like beat the cryptids. And ah. um there is there is like there's dice involved in that. Ooh, do you have it? I think Jordan might have it. I used to play this with Yeah, that's it. Horrified American Monsters. Ooh. It's that, but there no, that is the cryptid one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That one is so much fun. Yeah, I love and I love the murder mystery games where you sit down to try to solve the mystery. Oh, yeah, like to catch a killer or whatever they're, yep. or they're called. The, yeah. the hunt killer boxes. Yeah, that's it. I love all of those ones. So I really love immersive games that suck you in. It really is just, I was like, there's math involved. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Have you played Betrayal at House on the Hill? Oh, yeah. I haven't played that one. That one is fantastic. Carly, you would love this. You build this mansion one room at a time, and you don't know what your end goal is until you meet a certain number of requirements on the map. So basically, you're building the Winchester Mystery House as you go. Yeah, basically. (laughs) So at a certain point in the game, when the game reaches... uh, and sometimes that happen. this point comes really quickly and sometimes you have almost all your tiles out before it happens. But when it happens, depending on the situation that that happens in, what room you're in when it happens, and you have a list of scenarios and the combination of the room you're in and I forget what the other, what the other complication is, but basically... You have a, a list. It's dozens of different scenarios for the end game. So sometimes like one player becomes the the monster and the rest of the players are tasked to kill that monster. Sometimes everyone becomes a monster and people and new people come into the board and you're, it's your group's job to kill them. Like it's there are so many different scenarios with cool backstories and so fun. Yeah, it's really, really fun. The core oh, game has awesome. 50 different random scenarios. Yeah. I yeah. love that. I am going to check that out. I just bought for me and the kids to play. I, you know, the choose your own adventure books. Yeah. Yeah. They have board games of that now. So I just bought one That's <laughs> cool. to play. Uh, I don't remember which one I got. I saw it at Target and I was like, shut the fuck up. What? <laughs> Jordan, yeah. I don't know if you remember this book series. Do you remember Lone Wolf? No. So this was a book series that was an expansion of Choose Your Own Adventure with role-playing elements in it. Interesting. So there was a chart in the back with random numbers that you could use to roll like a 10-sided dice. And you had a character sheet. And depending on what story path you take in the book, you get different items. And then it's a novel series. So you carry your character over from book one all the way through 20-something now. But they just started reprinting this. Cool. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I was hooked on it as a kid. Holy shit. But it, it got to be where it was very hard to find the the newer novels. They just stopped carrying them in the local stores. These look tremendous. Yeah, I'm I'm on to this. <laughs> I'm doing this. Yeah, they if it, also if you're with um, betrayal on at the house on Haunted Hill, if you're into that and you're into D and D, there's a Boulder's Gate version of the mm-hmm. game 
that I thought would just be a reskin of the original game, but we bought it and it's fantastic and completely different. Like it operates the same way, but all the stories are unique. There's literally I've sat down with both books and there isn't a single parallel story like scenario for the end game. They're all brand new. It's yeah, it's, it's really good. So Carly, one of the scenarios from this game that still sticks in my head and it, it relates back to what we're talking about here is these stories and how they bring out stuff in us. There was a ghost wife who showed up and in the scenario, she picks one of the player characters at random and is like, I'm going to marry you. And she drags that person to the basement of the mansion, to the crypt. And for some reason, there is a chapel in the crypt as well. But everybody else has to find the ghost husband somewhere in the mansion. And reunite And them. take him to the crypt before the timer gun, uh, runs out and the marriage takes place. Because if you get married to this ghost with the ghost priest... The person dies. That's so, very corpse bride. <laughs> exactly. Well, we ended up it. finding the, the ghost husband, getting him all the way down to the basement. And because movement is random, we got stopped at the door to the crypt. So like and the ghost the husband marriage. was watching the marriage take place before the game no. ran out. So we failed that scenario. But now oh, there's this no. story that all the players have telling about this this board game that is in narrative form yeah that is so cool oh i really like that it's a great game i want to know how more of these games can be adapted to play online because i think that's my other hold up is that all of my friends live on the internet currently (laughs) yeah I had real life friends in Florida that I would play games with. And now I live with, with my mom and dad in Texas (laughs) and I have made actually zero efforts to meet real life people here. I should at some point, but um, I dislike all of my online friends. (laughs) (laughs) At some point, someone has to figure out how to translate these guys, these games into virtual play. And then, Someone figure it out and I'm in. (laughs) There's got to be a site out there that does this. They do it for Monopoly. So why not the other games? Yeah, that's true. Mm. And if you want to talk like like tabletop RPGs, there are tons of ways to play those online. So, yeah. Yeah. Most of them, you don't even need any special programs. You just use basically the the same thing that we're doing for this. Mm hmm. Give me a ghost husband to save. This is what I want to do with my life. <laughs> ghost wife has abducted my friend. I need to give her her ghost husband before he's dead. <laughs> That's the love triangle of a century. Someone needs to write that novel. What happens when the ghost wife abducts a human, marries him, now he's fucking dead, stuck with her ghost husband, and they all have to get along? Carly, <laughs> aren't you in idea jail? Yep. I am an idea. Listen, I have (laughs) literally right here on this piece of paper, I have a list of five books with corresponding true crime cases that go along with my books. I'm not allowed to write a single new book until all of these books are finished. Somebody else has to write that book for me. (laughs) Not allowed to. (laughs) And not Ivana. Not Ivana either. I don't have any Ivana books right now. Um, I mean, that does sound like an Ivana book. It does. I mean, Ivana's not allowed to write ghosts. Ivana can only write ridiculous monster smut. She was only supposed to write universal movie monsters, and now Bobby the bartender is getting a 
octopus girlfriend. I don't know how we got uh, how we got here. <laughs> Ivana, man, we should I... tell her about mind flayers, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Ivana will get out of the swamp as soon as I get my shit together. Maybe. No, she will. I just have to. I have to get a little more organized. Yeah. No, I'm in. I'm in ideal jail. I'm not allowed to write that story. I yeah. come up with ideas all of the time. Somebody else can write that for me. Here you go. I've written, I've basically come up with a great concept. Do it justice. <laughs> Tag me in the dedication, please and thank you. <laughs> this conversation has been fantastic and bizarre, and those are my favorite types of conversations. So, absolutely. I appreciate it's been this. been all over the map. Yeah. I feel like that's a good place to wrap it up, too. I feel yeah. like it is. Yes. Thank you very much for enlightening me on this matter. If I ever find some crazy, bizarre way to include tarot into this therapy session, I you will be <laughs> the first to hear about it because now I'm determined and we all know what happens when I set my mind to something. <laughs> I make it happen. <laughs> I look forward to that. So Jordan, where can we find you and what else are you working on right now? Sure, sure. So I'm one half of Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. You can find us on any and all podcast platforms. Wherever you're listening to this, you can undoubtedly find us. You can also follow us on socials at campfire.tales.podcast on pretty much all of them that matter. I'm working. We're working with Dark Village Publications right now to release a book, a campfire companion book basically and other than that i'm just, i've set a personal goal for myself to release my collection of short horror stories this year i definitely want it to be like first half of this year so that'll be coming down the pipe pretty soon as well and that's about it excellent carly things have changed since the last time you were on the show what else are you working on <laughs> Uh, I mean, such a short amount of time. It hasn't, I, I am a co-host for a podcast called Death Becomes Us. We have been working with a producer for quite some time and we have turned our efforts towards a podcast for the time being. Um, you can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts. We are having a wide range of guests on and we are talking about all sorts of different spiritual theories as well as how people got into this world. So we're having paranormal investigators, mediums. We have people who build their own devices, you know, interesting people and interesting conversations. So keep an eye out for those episodes. Uh, Ivana, she's still lurking in the swamp. You can still find her. I'm just not currently posting as her. <laughs> Um, you can follow me at carly.latham on Instagram and TikTok and keep an eye on Dark Village Publications. We have two new anthologies coming out in January. We'll have a 12 months of horror and a 12 months of smut. And my book, A Collection of Eyes, is being re-released in March. So that is my big big focus until that's out that is my baby so um i will be nurturing <laughs> nurturing it upon its re-release reintroduction into the world so yeah i think i think that's everything plug the sub stack oh yeah oh yeah the sub stack 
yeah, uh, sign up, subscribe to the Dark Village Publications Substack. It's free. And we will send you emails. We do writing articles and free short stories. There may be some paid ones every now and then, but Mallory and I are actually going to be doing some body double writing and feedback with me. So you'll be able to join a Zoom call with Mallory and basically write together, which is something that helps a lot of people. It's You don't even really talk to each other. It's literally like we're looking at each other. We're not really talking. And just knowing that somebody else is there and you have to write <laughs> during that time. But for my end, uh, a lot of people come to me for creative writing feedback. I am not a great editor, but I am great at reading people's pieces and giving creative input or saying this is this part could be stronger if you add a little bit more detail here or there. So both of those things we'll be adding a little bit more of. Both of our plates are just full at the moment. But if you subscribe to the Substack, you will get emails for free to your inbox that will let you know when those events are taking place. Yeah, the Substack is free and it's awesome. Yeah, we, really love, we love doing it. We're also going to have, we will have some guest posts coming up. So we have some authors who have previously contributed to Dark Village that have written some stories. And um, we have a funeral director is writing us an article about grief that's coming out soon. So we actually have some really unique and interesting content and it's free. Um, Substack is a new platform, but you can... It's, it's basically like reading a blog and it has the option to listen to it as audio. And I've been trying to record most of them so you can listen to it or read it. And it's, it's a really interesting platform, but it's pretty new. So most people don't exactly know what it is, but again, it's free. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for both of you coming on tonight. That's all I've got. So until next time, remember, stay weird. Stay weird.